So church, like, uh, like we've been talking about, this season starting in December 1st is the season of Advent where we celebrate uh, and anticipate Jesus. You know, uh, we're, we're celebrating what Jesus has done, his coming as a baby as we sang about, uh, but we also uh, anticipate what he wants to do with us. Church, and I, I, I believe with all my heart that God wants to do something with us, and as we'll see through the text this morning, that God has work to do in us today. Um, that we're not anticipating a distant work, even though in a sense we are in the coming of Jesus to glorify, uh, to bring glory to this kingdom, uh, this broken world that we live in. But in, in the time that we're living in now, I believe with all my heart that Jesus wants to lean into where we are today and bring restoration and refreshing to us. You know, we started uh, talking about this last week uh, when we were in First Kings um, and, and, and kind of the overall theme this morning, you know, in, in the book of Isaiah, this chapter in Isaiah that you see on the screen right here, um, you know, as he's speaking to those who are, who are in desperate times, he says this, he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God leaning into our mess to provide something that we desperately need. And, and, and with our kiddos here this morning, you know, uh, their, their little lives are so simple for the most part. You know, you guys have very little worries. But man, knowing that God wants to lean into your life, speak into your life in a way that is encouraging, that God is with you. And as we'll talk about this morning, God is for you. And God wants to work with you and in you and use you in so many ways. And so this morning, church, if you could turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 3. It's where we're going to be at this morning. And just to kind of uh, give some context. So this is a little after where we were last week, where the, the, the prophet uh, of, to God's people is no longer Elijah, but it is now Elisha. I know that's confusing. Uh, the, just a couple letters to differentiate these two people, but they are two different people. And one, Elijah, has passed the, the mantle per se, to Elijah, who is now the prophet to God's people. And we talked about last week that the kings of Israel, the kings of God's people, have been wicked people. Up until the current king, uh, remember last week we talked about Ahab, who was a wicked king. And right after that, we see a new king who is wicked, but it says not as wicked as his father, who was Ahab. And so uh, Israel, the, the, people of, uh, the Jewish people have just had a string of wicked kings that have led them away from the Lord. Uh, but God has interceded for them by having a prophet, by having a man of God. God in their midst. And so what we're going to see this morning in first in second Kings chapter three uh, is we're going to see uh, th this nation, uh, these different uh, regions of this nation coming together with with a problem. And then them stepping out and what that looks like this morning. And so if I could kind of subtitle this this morning, I would want it to be this. What we're going to kind of be speaking about is making room for blessings. Making room for blessings in our lives. As we'll see through the text this morning, how God uses this situation to speak to us. So uh, we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, and I'm going to read verse 7 down to verse 11, so we can kind of get an idea of where we're at and what's going on. So starting in verse 7, he says this. It says, Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Okay? Has rebelled against me. And so just to kind of 
a little, little bit something else. Uh, this, this king of Moab, before this, with the King Ahab, the, first, the last king of Israel, uh, they had kind of an agreement where they kind of helped each other. They did some things together. Well, since Ahab has passed and the new king is taken, this king of Moab, of this other kingdom, uh, is now rising up against the nation of Israel. Okay, and so that's what's happening here. And so uh, this king, this one king, uh, comes uh, to Jehoshaphat and he says, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And so he's looking for, uh, for, uh, for allies in this battle. And so he's reaching out to some of the other uh, regions in the nation of Israel. And he's coming to him saying, We have uh, an enemy coming against us. And he said, uh, and this is how he responds. He said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. Verse 8. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to, be, to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elijah, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Or, or, or just another way to say that is that this man is a servant. This man is a servant. And so the first thing that I want us to see this morning, as we're talking about making room for blessings, as we navigate the wastelands and the wildernesses of our lives, the first thing that I want us to see that is important for us as we approach the Lord and we allow Him to lean into our lives is this, that we would be securing the source. We'd be securing the source of the refreshing, of the restoration in our wastelands. And we see these men as they understand that there's an enemy way uh, coming against them. And so we see this one king, uh, he, he's reaching out, the king of Israel, he's reaching out to the king of Judah. And he says, hey, will you be my ally in this? And then they reach out to the king of Edom. Hey, will you be our ally in this? We're going into battle. And I think there's something so evident in the way that they're approaching this war as they're approaching this enemy. This is what he says when they're talking to each other. He says, you come with me. He's reaching out to these other nations. And he says, I am as you are. My people are, your, are as your people and my horses are as your horses. What is their focus on? What are they looking at in these moments? Church, the thing that they're looking at is they're looking at their own strengths. They're looking at their own knowledge. They're looking at their own resources as adequate to move into battle to navigate this place where they call the wilderness of Edom. And so they're looking to go into this battle based off of who they are. They say, hey, I'm as you are. We've got enough among us within ourselves to manage the battles that are ahead of us. He says, we got it. We've got our people that I'm as you are, our people. We've got the people. We've got the horses. We've got the resources. We've got everything we need within ourselves to navigate this battle church, they're stepping out. They're stepping out in their own strength. They're stepping out in everything that they have. And we know that this is not in the Lord because later down in verse 11, what does it say? Jehoshaphat says, is there no prophet of the Lord here? You know, the nation of Israel had been, had gotten kind of a routine and a rhythm of doing things without, God's in, without God on their side. They had a routine of really stepping out and doing things without acknowledging the prophet of the Lord that God had sent them to navigate and to be communicating with God on their behalf. And so what's happening here is that they are stepping out. They're stepping out on their own without the Lord. 
Without asking of the Lord, is this the right thing to do? Without leaning into the Lord and saying, God, what's the best way to navigate this? Which way would you have us go? Instead, they're saying, hey, look, we have everything we need to do this. I have all the resources. We have all the people. We have the right direction based off of our own assumptions. We've got this together. So they begin to step out. Church, too often, I believe we're navigating our lives without that acknowledgement of the Lord. Stepping into it with our own strengths. You know, we live in a very humanistic world where we believe that everything we need is, comes from within us. That, 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 that uh, you know, uh, that my truth is my truth and that it's enough for me to navigate and to do what I have to do and to be the person that I need to be. But then too often it leads us to this next moment that we see here. And it says in verse 9, it says, They marched. And, then on this, and they marched, and on the seventh day, they marched for seven days. On the seventh day, what does it say? It says, there was no water for the army, nor for their animals. You know, the difference between this story, because remember last week in our story in 1 Kings, remember the prophet Elijah was seeking the Lord, and he was praying to the Lord, and, uh, and, and the servant, he told the servant, he said, go look for the rain, because there's been a drought, and, and, and we need the rain. But he says, I believe that God's going to provide the rain. So he said, go look for the rain. And we went and looked. The first time, he said, it's not there. And Elijah said, go back again, and go back seven times. And on the seventh time, what happened? Remember last week we talked about, it, he saw the cloud rising, and, and he knew that the Lord was providing rain. The difference between this story and the story before is on that seventh day, there wasn't any provision. Why was there no provision on that seventh day when they've done the work? The process has been happened. I've been, you know, they, they, they're doing what they think they should do. On that seventh day, it says that there was no rain. It's, it's on that seventh day that, that their men had no water. It says that their, their animals had no water. Stepping out without the Lord's provision, they found themselves at a place of desperate need. That that strength that they thought they had was starting to fail. That those resources that they thought they had, that they thought would do them good, suddenly weren't being sustained, weren't being provided for, weren't, being, uh, weren't good enough anymore. Their strength and the dependability of themselves and the strength of their resources was suffering. And the thing is, is because later on in this, in this chapter, what we see is they weren't far from the enemy. Because later on it says that the enemy can actually see what's happening. Uh, you'll see when the water comes, they can actually see the reflection of the water and they think a certain thing. So in this moment, in this seventh day, when they get to this place, they're not far from the enemy. They're on the brink of war and they're suffering. They're struggling. They're weak. Far too often we are spending our lives on the brink of war in the vision of the enemy. Just empty. Just drained because we're stepping out. We're stepping out in our lives without acknowledging the Lord, without seeking the Lord. You know, and them here, you know, they're, they're, and the thing that I think for us that we would understand is that the journey always seems manageable on our own until the unexpected obstacles happen, right? Like we always think we have it together. We always think, and I, I can do this. I can do this in my strength. I have the, within me or within people around me or the resources I have, the money, the this, the that, whatever it may be. And I've got it. I've got enough. I've got what I need to do what I need to do. Then that first really big obstacle comes and then all of a sudden we feel like nothing is good enough. Right. We feel like I'm empty. I'm drained. I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. I don't have the mental, uh, the mental strength, the emotional strength to deal with what's going on in my life right now because 
We're depending on ourselves. We have nothing to fall back on. We have no confidence that we're laying on anything else but ourselves. And if we're honest with ourselves, more often than not, we find ourselves being less confident in ourselves than anything else. Right? When the obstacle comes. When the obstacle comes, we immediately begin to look at ourselves and say, I'm not good enough. I can't handle it. I'm not, I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. You know, that, that job that you felt very confident doing, the first obstacle that comes, we're like, yeah, I suck at this. Right. You know, as a parent, as we're growing, you know, with my kids, raising them up, you know, you think, man, I'm killing it. I got it all together. And the first time your kids do something crazy, you're like, I'm a terrible parent. Or the first time you accidentally leave them somewhere and then you have to go back and get them. You're like, yeah, I'm just failing in every way, you know, in these in these situations, in these places. But the beautiful thing about our God is that our unexpected obstacles is God's opportunity to remind us that he is with us. Our unexpected obstacles is, our, is God's opportunity to remind us that he is with us. But too often when we've stepped into these places, when we wander out in our lives without acknowledging God or without seeking God in the midst of it, this is where we find ourselves. And, and, and I think it's just such an awesome picture about the, that place of desperation. In verse 10, this is what the king says. He says, for the Lord has called these three nations together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. How often have we been there? How often have you maybe been there? I know I've been there before in my life where we've stepped out on our own and then we find ourselves under pressure. We find ourselves struggling or suffering. We think God has forgotten about me. David even says this in Psalms sometimes. Why have you forsaken me? God, you've left me. God, why, why, have you, why are you coming down on me in this way? It's when we step out without the Lord, when we step out not remembering who God is and what God has done that we begin to blame somebody. We've got to blame somebody because we don't want to blame ourselves. It's not me. It must be God, right? God must want me to suffer like this. God must want my life to be this, this way. God must not love me. God must not hate me. God, I mean, God must hate me. God must not care for me. Uh, God doesn't care about me. Look at my life. Look at my circumstances. Look at what's going on around me. The moments we blame God for the situations we are in are the moments we have forgotten his intentions for his people. Because even up to this point, Even up to this point, God has done so much for the nation of Israel. God has done so much for these people. God has done so much for where they are. Exodus 14, 14, the the Lord says this. He says, the Lord will fight for you and you only to be silent. This is when they're standing at the Red Sea and their enemies closing in. He says, the Lord will fight for you. Isaiah 41, 13 says, for I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am with you. Who helps you? Who helps you? Isaiah 54.10, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love, never-ending love, shall not depart from you. And my covenant or my commitment of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Church, this has been spoken to them through all this time, through all their struggles, through all every time that this is spoken, this is in the midst of difficulty. This is in the midst of of, of potential battle, potential war, potentially the enemy just overtaking them in some way, shape, or form, or even the enemy may have overtaken them uh, in, in some instances. But the Lord is reminding them, I am your God. I am with you. I will help you. I have compassion on you. I have a covenant of a promise of peace with you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that as you step out. Don't forget that as you go. 
Because the thing, if we would just truly remember it, and I love that verse in Deuteronomy 31, that he goes before you. That any spaces that we've walked in, God has already been there. That he will not forsake you or leave you. That he's standing in the midst of whatever that mess is with us and, and, and navigating that space with us. But too often we're moving in our own strength. And church, the reality is, is that any spaces we walk into without the Lord is setting us up for difficult circumstances. And it's setting us up, maybe not even necessarily what's going on around us, but more internally. It's setting us up for anxiety. It's setting us up for worry. It's setting us up for resentment. It's setting us up for desperation. Just desperately grasping for some type of hope in the middle of our situations. But when we're leaning on our own strength, that's the only place we have to grab is at ourselves. God, what, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to fix this? But what we see, what we see is that Elijah will remind them. Elijah will remind them what God intends for his people. Elijah will remind them what he plans to do. But he will give them a task in the midst of it. And that in our navigating life, in our navigating the wastelands and the wildernesses of our life, there is a task that God will have for us in a very similar way. And that we would be making space for his blessings. That we would be making space for his giving in our lives. In verse 16, this is they call Elijah and then Elijah begins to prophesy. He begins to tell them, this is what God's going to do right now. You feel like God's forgotten about you. You feel like God doesn't care. And you know what? You even didn't seek him when you stepped out. But this is what God's going to do in spite of all that. This is what he says. Verse 16. And he said this. Thus says the Lord. Make this valley full of ditches. You know, different translations say this differently. But I love this command right here. They're seeking water. You know, and I just try to put myself in that moment. Exhausted, afraid. They finally, after, after all this time of neglect, they finally seek the Lord for the provision that they're waiting. Hopefully God will bring the blessings. And what does he say? He gives them an instruction. He says, dig ditches. Or other translations may say, dig trenches. He's telling them to, to, to dig a space for the water to settle in. You know, and, and a lot of times we see this in the Bible. Most of the time when God's going to do something, he gives them instruction. And what the instruction does is that it leads to illumination. Too often we want the illumination before the instruction. And when I say illumination, I say the revealing of what God's doing or the revealing of what God's trying to do in our lives. A lot of us are hearing instruction. God is telling us, trying to speak into our lives what he wants us to do with our families, with our kids, with our jobs, with our situations. He's trying to speak into our lives what to do. But the, the instruction isn't good enough. The instruction isn't enough. I, I, don't, I don't want you to tell me what I need to be doing, God. I just need you to do it. Just, just do it. Just show, me, just show me the answer. Show me how you want things, uh, how, how, how things can be perfect, how they can line up. But no, you know, exhausted, afraid, unsure. He says, I have, I have an instruction for you. Dig trenches. Dig trenches. And not only to dig trenches, but what does he say? He says in verse, uh, verse 17, right after this, he says, For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. He says, you won't see evidence that I'm providing, but I'm going to provide. Other, another translation, the ESV says it like this. He says, I will make this dry valley full of pools of water. He says that I will make, I'm going to do. And so God is telling them, I'm doing the work. 
of the blessing. But here's your instruction. Dig trenches. Or in other words, make room for the blessing. Make room for the giving that I want to give to you. There's an element of faith that plays into this. That he's given the instruction. And that he's telling them, if you'll follow the instruction, the blessings will be, we will be seen. The blessings will be given. D.L. Moody said this. He said, obedience means marching right on whether we feel like it or not. Many times we go against our feelings. Faith is one thing. Feeling is another. Church, it is a different thing to navigate per our feelings. Because there's a lot of times we don't feel like doing things, right? You know, we don't feel like doing things. I don't feel like going to work all the time. I've got to go to work or I'm not going to get paid, right? You know, a lot of times maybe we don't feel like getting up and coming to church and worshiping. Like, I get it. Especially, hey, we, we meet at 9 o'clock. But man, I, I pray that every time you come, you're blessed. I pray that every time you come, you're encouraged. You know, uh, a lot of times we don't feel like, we don't feel like reconciling our differences with our spouses, Right? We get in an argument, we get in a fight, we don't want to be the first one to relent. I don't want to be the first one to say that I'm wrong. I don't want to say that I don't feel like submitting. I don't feel like trying to work this out. But we know we should, right? That's what God wants. That's what's, what betters our relationships. You know, I don't feel like those awkward conversations with my kids when I'm trying to encourage them and instruct them in the ways that they should go. It would be a lot easier. You know, I have a, teen, a soon-to-be teenager. It would be a lot easier for me to avoid some very difficult conversations, right? But if I don't instruct him in those things, then the world's going to instruct him in those things, and then he's going to fall victim to that. Listen, there's a lot of times where we may not feel like doing things, but our faith works differently. Our faith pushes us to walk in the instruction that leads us to the illumination of what God wants to show us. You know, and so God had promised water, but they had to prepare to catch what he would provide. They had to make room, the space to enjoy what he would provide. Because verse uh, 20, we know that the water comes. Verse 20 of that same chapter, it says that the water comes from Edom. God provides. God provides in the way the water was coming. But, but with this being a valley, we know that it's a valley. So it's a low, low settling place. And so just trying to imagine the situation, more than likely what's going to happen is the water's going to move through this valley pretty quick. That's why he tells them, dig the trenches, dig these spaces so that the, the water will come through and that the water will, will stay, right? As it rushes through, the water will stay. The water will settle. There will be a spot for you to drink from. So the only difference, the difference between them embracing God's promises and enjoying God's provision is the dirt, right? He tells them, you got to move the dirt. you got to move the rocks. you got to make space for God's provision to settle into this valley, there is so much in our life that is keeping God's provision from settling in our life. We have filled those spaces with so many things. So many, we live in such a distracted world. We live in so we can be so distracted from, from the things we need to acknowledge. We can be so distracted from the things that we need to be dealing with. We can be so distracted from our own needs, from our, from our own hurts, from our own worries, from our own uh, desires. We can be so distracted from what God's trying to do in our lives. And he tells them, the difference is the dirt. The difference is the dirt. The difference is the rock. Make some space. Clear out some space. This is your instruction. Because the blessing, the, the, the giving, you know, the, the blessing was the water. And he tells them, the water's coming. The water's going to rush through this valley. And if you don't prepare, then you will not enjoy fully the blessings that I have for you. 
You know, and, and in reality, if, if we try to put ourselves in that situation as, as they're down in that valley and the water rushes through, they probably could enjoy it a little bit, right? I mean, they could probably lean down and catch some in their hands or, 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 or something, you know, kind of put their mouths near it and kind of try to take in as much as they could because it wasn't rain. So this wasn't rain coming down, but this is water flowing through this valley. And, and so in, in that moment when it's rushing by, they could take some satisfaction from it, right? But it would be just enough for temporary satisfactions. It would be just enough to provide for just a, for a moment. But the difference was that God was calling them to make those shallow spaces deeper. To make those shallow spaces deeper. To go deeper. So that you could enjoy more of what I'm going to provide. Church, a lot of us are living off the rush. That God is blessing you. God is trying to bless you. God is trying to give to us. But too often, we're dependent. We're dependent on the rush rather than digging deeper, taking those shallow pools and making them deeper, pushing away those things in our life to make room for the Lord's blessings to settle in, to have long-term satisfaction. Listen, you can... You could live your whole life off very little spiritually. You really could. You know, you could do so much. But too often we're missing blessings because we don't have space for it in our lives. And it is rushing by us and we're missing out. You know, because it's possible to experience blessings without participating or benefit from those blessings. Because they very well could have. They could have not dug the dirt and they would have seen God's blessing and God's provision Rushing by, they could have maybe enjoyed just enough of it to get them to this battle, to get them there. But how temporary would just a moment? I mean, the, the water they could have caught in their own hands, how, how little would that have provided? If they've gone seven days without any provision, without any water, without any substance in this way, how could it have provided? Too often, we're living as people in the moments and experiences of our life. From experience to experience, moment to moment as Christians, we are missing out on fully enjoying God's purpose and blessing in our life because we, have those, we, we don't have those deep spaces. We haven't moved things around in our life to truly enjoy the blessings that He is pouring out around us, that He is trying to give to us. You know, one of those things being just as a church, you know, as, as the church universal, as the church, we're, we're missing so much because we live in such an entertainment culture that we just want to come and we want to soak up. We don't want to make those deep spaces in our life where we're allowing God to use us or to challenge us. We just want to come. We want to be entertained. We want to, we want to you know, I, man, we miss so much. We miss so much by spectating God's blessings. Just sitting on the sidelines. You know, and in this moment, they could have really been just awestruck by what God was doing in that valley and not benefited a single bit from it. But he told them, make some space. Dig some holes. Dig some trenches. He called them to do something that they had the ability to do. They couldn't bring the blessings, but they could prepare for it. Because what the preparation would show is it would show their willingness to obey and their confidence in His faithfulness. Even though it doesn't make sense. 
But listen, what, most of what we do for God isn't going to make sense. I love this by Francis Chan. He says, something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. There should be things that we do as Christians that make no sense to other people. Why would you live this way? Why would you do these things? Why would you raise your kids this way? Why would you and your spouse do and participate in these things together? Why would you show up to church at 9 o'clock on, on, on Sunday mornings? You know, why would you do this? Why would you do that? There's a lot of things that should not make sense to unbelievers. But all of these things are us digging those trenches in our lives. Committing ourselves to do certain things, to live certain ways. Because the reality is this, is in verse 17, he tells him, he says, yet the valley shall be filled with water. And then in verse 19, we see not only is he going to provide them water, but he says this, he said, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. He says, I don't want to just even temporarily satisfy you enough to move beyond this moment. He says, I want to give you victory. He says, I want to give you victory over your enemies, the enemies that are coming against you in your life. I want to give you victory in those things. I want to give you more than just temporary provision. I want to give you triumph. I want you to be able to celebrate a victory that I've given. Church, God is wanting to do that in our lives. He's wanting to do more than just get us by day to day. He wants to give us victory over the enemies in our lives. Whatever those things are that are coming against us, whatever lusts, whatever temptations, whatever, uh, whatever emotions, whatever difficulties, whatever things may be weighing against us, He wants to give us victory over those things. Not just enough to face it, not just enough to go and stand before our enemy. He wants to give us victory over our enemies. He said, I will give them into your hand. I will provide you that victory. But it begins with digging those ditches, with making that space. You know, and it may have seemed tedious. It may have seemed crazy because they were tired. They were afraid. They were, they were, they were overwhelmed. But he tells them, dig those ditches, make those trenches, and I will provide for you. Because the promises that we should remember is that God isn't giving the water because they are digging the ditches. God was going to give the water anyway. He is giving the water because they are His people and He is providing. But whether they dig the ditches or not will determine whether they enjoy those blessings or not. Church, there is so much that God does for His, that, that Christians, if you're a believer here this morning, that we are missing out on because we're not making space or preparing or seeking the Lord to walk in His blessings. You know, because the thing is, this work, this instruction, this doesn't determine whether they're God's chosen people or not. They're already God's chosen people. He's already providing for them. He's already guiding them and leading them. But there is a possibility for you as a Christian, for me as a Christian, to walk our entire lives and miss, completely miss any blessings that God wants to pour into our life. To completely miss any, any work of God to move in a, in a huge, tangible way. To miss God's faithfulness. To miss enjoying His steadfast love. To miss what He's trying to do because we're too busy, because our holes are too shallow. Because we're, we're, just, we're just living off the rush. We're just living off the experiences from moment to moment. We're just living off of Sunday morning for an hour. We're just living off of this single moment rather than digging deep without making spaces, pushing things out of our life, pushing things around to make space to really walk, to really enjoy, to really embrace the blessings that God has for us. And listen, it would be a sad thing for any of our lives to walk. You know what? And, and in the end, as a Christian, God tells us nothing can take us from his hand. To end our life and to have wasted so much time enjoying God's blessings because we haven't made space to embrace them, 
to live in them, to walk in them. Because listen, there is, there is this idea, and I love this, this word, is that even though we have an inheritance, an identity as Christians, that there is this idea of an already, something that's been done, this already, but not yet. That even though God in Jesus Christ, when we have put our faith in Jesus, our eternity is sealed, that there is a sense of a not yet that is still working itself out between now and our glorified bodies, that a life that we can enjoy, that a life that we can experience through our faith in Jesus Christ, through our confidence in him, things that he can do is that, yes, God has saved us. If you have put your faith in Jesus, God has saved us. But the effects of sin that keep us from enjoying that status are real. That even as a believer, that I can be robbed of experiencing God's blessings in my life if I allow either my sin or the sin of others around me to affect that. There is an already but not yet that is affecting our lives right now. And we see that in Scripture. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, it says, God has delivered us, that he has transferred us, that he's delivered us from the power of darkness, and he's transferred us into his kingdom. So there is an already. There is something he has already done. In Galatians, uh, Colossians 3, 3, he says, your life is hidden with Christ. He has already done that if you're a Christian this morning. But in, Col- in Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. So there is an already that's been done, but a not yet that is our responsibility. That, that we push away the darkness, that we acknowledge, that we, that we put to death, therefore, what is earthly within us, so that we make room, we dig the trenches, so that we can enjoy the blessings of being transferred out of the place of darkness, uh, that we can be true, that we're being put in the kingdom of God, that we have that, that already to enjoy. Also in Romans 6, 6, he says, we know our old self is crucified. We know our old self is crucified and we're, ma- we're made new. In Romans 6, 11, though, he says this, consider yourself dead to sin. So there is, a, there is a work that we do to embrace and enjoy the blessings that God wants to give us in our lives. That even though there's an already, even though as a Christian I can say, my, my eternity is sealed in heaven with my God and Father in heaven. But there is still my responsibility to do certain things in my life so that I can enjoy that inheritance now so I can enjoy that but God wants to bless us right now in your seat this morning in your family in your life in your workspaces God wants to bless you God wants to use you God wants you to enjoy his faithfulness and his steadfast love to you but if we don't have room for it church will completely miss it it'll rush right by us these people in this valley are God's chosen people and without the trenches without the work of digging the ditches they would miss God's blessings as it rushes by them. Church, don't let God's blessings that he is pouring out towards you, on you, and around you, don't let them pass you by. Make space for his blessings in your life. Make room for what he wants to give to you. The work is done. We are sealed. And the rush of blessings are flowing. Are you walking in those blessings? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's wanting to use us a work from within us to walk in the abundance, to walk in the blessings. Psalm 68.6, he says, God settles the solitary in a home. He, and I love this. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. The rebellious dwell in a parched land. In this moment, if, if they would be rebellious 
And for us, maybe this morning, our wasteland or our wilderness is because we've been rebellious. Listen, we will continuously live in a parched, dry land that misses the provision of what God wants to give us. The blessings that he wants to pour out on us. And the thing that the encouragement that Elijah gives them in verse 18, he says this. He says, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. This is a simple thing. God wants to pour blessings into our life. And for him, this is a simple thing. If we would just make space for it. Receive it. Prepare to take in what God wants to give to us. Because God's specialty is taking what we see as impossible and stepping in where his people are making things happen. When we are making space, we are pushing things out. Because he does this for his own glory and for our good. As a child of God, everything we do is for his glory and for our good. He says, make space for it. And so what do we remember this morning, church, as we finish up? That God's intention is not only to save them from perishing, but to return triumphant, to have victory over the enemies that press in against them. God wants to do that for us. God wants to do more than just give us daily provision. God wants to give us triumph over our enemies. But it starts with making room. It starts with, with getting deeper. It starts with, with, with moving the dirt, with moving the substance, with moving these things that have filled these spaces in our life and allowing God to come in. And I don't know what that looks like specifically for you. Listen, we, have, we all have different things that are filling those spaces in our life. Maybe it's distractions. Maybe it's our sense of comfort that we hold on to that keeps us from truly experiencing what God's wanting to do in our life because we don't want to be pushed out of our comfort zone. We don't want to be challenged. The main thing, church, is that we would be seeking Him. That we would be seeking Him. Psalm 63, 1, He says, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He tells them to seek Him. David says that I'm seeking You because I'm thirsty for You. I recognize that you're the only provision that I truly need. I understand that you're the satisfaction and the substance that I need in my life to be providing for me. And this all begins at a single place. And and I love this. There's a verse here that we didn't read, but that we'll go back to, to help us understand where it begins. In verse 14, this is what Elijah says to those people. says, And Elijah said... As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. And Elijah said, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I would not help you. I would not see you. You know, this, these people... They didn't deserve any help. They didn't deserve anything. But because of their acquaintance with a godly king, he said, God is going to provide for you. Were it not for our acquaintance with Jesus Christ as our king, we would miss what God wants to do for us. It all begins with Jesus. A faith in Jesus associates us with a king that speaks on our behalf, that God looks at and says, if it were not for Jesus that we wouldn't be worthy. And we're not. Without Jesus Christ, without His righteousness, without Him uh, being the mediator between us and a holy God, we would not be worthy of His blessings. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, 
through Jesus. We can anticipate and celebrate the provision that He will give to His people. Not because of our status before God, but because of Jesus. It all begins there. You know, the king of Edom is not God's chosen, but his association with the king of Israel allows him to receive. Christ is our king, and our association with him brings us into places for God's blessings. Church, we just have to make room for it and to live and to walk in it. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you. God, I ask that we would uh, truly evaluate those spaces in our life that are keeping us from enjoying the blessings that you have for us. God, those spaces that are, that are robbing us of your blessings. God, that too often we spend time watching your blessings rush by or we miss your blessings as they rush by us because, Lord, the, the spaces in our life, our spiritual life, Lord, they're too shallow. God, challenge us to dig deeper. God, challenge us to make space. God, challenge us to move things out that allow us to truly embrace and to truly walk and enjoy the blessings that you are just constantly pouring out around us. Father God, I thank you that even in all the wickedness of your people, as we've read in the the Old Testament, God, you still sought to provide for them. You still sought to, to, to give them, uh, to bless them, to, to provide just the substance that they needed, to constantly fight their battles for them, to constantly offer them and give them victories. God, that even in the times when they were the most distraught and the most distant from you, God, you were still present. You were still there, God. Lord, I thank you that even though I'm a, a, a sinner, God, who falls short of your glory, God, you still see fit to provide blessings for me. God, that you still see fit to provide blessings for us. And God, I pray that we would hear the instruction to make room to enjoy those blessings. God, the refreshing, the renewal, and the restoration you're offering in our wastelands, God, that we would enjoy it, make room for it, and be obedient to the call that you have for us. Whatever that looks like in our church, in our families, in our lives as individuals. God, that we would first put our faith in you, in Jesus Christ. Lord, and then begin to walk in the blessings that you're pouring out over your people who are associated with our King, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, thank you again.